Hi there, my name is Michael. Welcome to Falling Up Radio. I'm really excited here that you're here today. We have a really amazing guest. I look forward to getting to know her and what she does, and I, I really encourage you to listen well. And if you're a note taker, maybe even get your notebook out, you may get some a few epiphanies or insights uh, just from the show. But before I introduce our guest, I want to mention um, depending upon where you're listening, if you're watching on the website, you can get the book, Falling Down, Getting Up. This book was number one in recovery, yoga, and stress. And if you're listening on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or somewhere else, go to the website, fallingupradio.com, and there's a link there to download this book for free. So with, with that being said, I want to bring in my guest. We kind of known each other peripherally. We're both yoga teachers. Uh, she went through a teacher training in 1999. Um, and so we, we've had similar friends and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not really why she is here today. I'm, I'm really fascinated what she does. Our guest today, she was a creator and founder of Thrive Recovery, which is really about helping people recover from life, recovering from alcohol and, and other substances, but not just letting go of the substances, but actually integrating everything in life, whether it's relationship, whether it's money, whether it's work, whatever it is, and bringing all those issues to the forefront to allow some, some healing and recovery to happen. She is a yoga teacher. She's, um, I believe she's a tapper too. She studied holistic health and nutrition at, at Integrated Nutrition. She's studied business at University of Texas in Austin. It goes on and on and on. I actually have six pages of notes here. I can't believe how many notes I, I have. Um, and we'll never get to, to everything. Her name... And I'm, I'm, don't jump in yet, Amy. Amy Guerrero, I discovered Guerrero means warrior. And I think that's pretty good. So we have a warrior today as a guest. So Amy, welcome to Falling Up Radio. Oh, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. And I feel so open in my heart when I hear that, like, I actually have made these things happen in my life. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, that's so amazing. And it's so, I, I'm, it's an honor to be here. I love what you're up to. I love that we have been running around each other in this circle. Mm -hmm. And what's really truly bringing us together is total integration and recovery of all the things that we have in common. And yeah. that's so beautiful to actually be here with you right now. Yeah is so amazing. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you, Amy. And I want to ask you, first of all, I know you didn't pick your, your name, but where did you discover your name meant warrior? And how is that today? Wow. Now I want to jump into something else. Yeah, no, that's such a great question because I didn't discover it until like high school. And so I, I grew up in a Mexican family, of course, but, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it wasn't cool to speak Spanish. And so they didn't teach it to us growing up. So I started to learn Spanish. I mean, I can understand it, but I really started to learn it in, in middle school and high school. 
And when my, I think it was actually in middle school, senior Stuart was like, you know, it means warrior. And I just like loved that. You know, I was just like, yes. Oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And it makes so much sense that I've been pioneering this path, even that young, that was outside of the box of my family. And I was like, I am going to be the warrior. And so I definitely, and like a redheaded Mexican amongst like brown, 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 my brown family. People are always like, where'd you come from? I'm like, I'm the warrior. <laughs> well, now you, you, you know, it's interesting. I, I wanted to bring that up first because having studied warriors in, in different uh, traditions in countries, et cetera, I know that warriors often, well, not often, essentially part of becoming warrior is you're sent out for seven years and you're given all these challenges. You may have to fight lions and tigers and bears and all these things, or you, you might have to go through some amazing challenges. And I know one time in your life, you had to do that too. And you, you were diving into um, alcohol and, and other drugs and, and all of this. Can you tell the listeners what that early experience was, was like for you? The early experience of diving into alcohol and drugs um, when I started to get sober? Or before you got sober? Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, such a great question. Thank you. I, it's, it's so interesting that you really, like Joseph Campbell is one of my favorite, you know, just ways of explaining what a warrior or a hero's journey really looks like. And, and now with so much clarity that like, I'd get a little choked up when I could hear my voice just there, I can say that like, I've been on this journey for such a long time. Yeah. And, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable in my skin from such a little person. Mm -hmm. And my family just did not have any tools or skills to really understand what mental health was, what, what anxiety really was. It was just like, do these things. So when I did find a substance, alcohol was the first substance that I used that, that worked for me. I felt this like contentness in my body that I was just like, Oh wow. Like this is a little bit easier to navigate. Well, let me, let me interrupt you just for a moment because Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm in discovering more about you. I also learned that, early on as a child, your mother or your grandmother was rubbing whiskey on, on your lips and your gums. And so that idea of getting soothed by some substance was started pretty early. Oh, yes, Michael, for sure. Like it didn't, <laughs> you know, I, I love my grandparents and I'm so grateful that they had the capacity to take me in and, and raise me. And and like they only knew what they knew. And so many of these traditions that they used to soothe were exactly the opposite of what I needed. When I had a stomach ache, they gave me Coca-Cola and sugar, you know, and, and when I had a toothache and was teething, I mean, I'll never forget where the, the liquor cabinet was. And my grandmother had all her good China and there was kind of the only like place that my grandmother had her own things in the house. And it was, you know, it was at toddler height and she would get in there and she would wipe it on my gums. And, and I, I learned how to soothe that way. You know, I, the coping mechanisms that they had, and she died very, very young of diabetes 
and and really said to me I'm, i'll never forget she was like i'm gonna keep eating this way like i'm done she was yeah. done so yeah. th that was what was ingrained in me from a little kid you know whether or not i was conscious of it or not it was still being imprinted on my little being sure yeah so your warrior training really started when you were teething you're absolutely 100% right. Actually, I would say I probably started in utero because my mom already knew that she didn't want me. Mm -hmm. And she was raped by her father her whole life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's so many questions that I have that early in my life, I was really trying to figure out. And now I've just let go because, you know, I can't force anyone to tell me what actually happened. And I'm done trying to. So literally, I've been warrior. Like, since I was like, okay, I'm going to pop out of here. And I'm going to have to figure out a lot of stuff on my own. And I, I truly, truly, truly believe that I signed up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you were going through, when you were getting older, a teenager, going through high school, um, maybe into your early 20s, were you already starting to dive into more substances and, and really using that as one of your tools, so to speak? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when sugar stopped working and I started to get more self-conscious about how I looked, right, then alcohol and substances became a tool, like literally a tool. And in Texas, you know, I hung out with more men than I did women. And it was just so common to, to drink, to start drinking at that age. And our parents knew what was going on. You know, it wasn't, I didn't honestly think anything of it. It was just like the way of living. And I was highly successful in school and work, everything I did. So I was like, well, this is really working. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, through all of that, um, what wasn't working as a result of drinking or, or using other substances? What problems were coming up? And here's the thing, I am at this point, at already, I would say in middle school, I was already a master at hiding what was really happening inside me because I was so concerned that I was going to be left. Like my original incident is that abandonment. Mm -hmm. And so I would do anything, Michael, absolutely anything to feel love and to know that people weren't going to leave me. And that meant masking my emotions and becoming whatever anyone else wanted me to be. Yeah. And that behavior is so intense, you know, and consciously, I didn't know I was like, I looked like I was thriving. I looked like I was doing so well in school with friends with all the things. I was going to be the first person to go to college. And so the alcohol wasn't working at all. I was blacking out very young. I was getting taken advantage of. There was a lot of sexual encounters that I did not agree to. There was so, it was affecting, I could have done better in school. You know, um, I could have, there's so, my heart was so open. I was seeking so much spirituality and I literally found it in the spirit of alcohol. Yeah. You know, and that's real. And I really want people to hear that because it is a spirit. It was meeting my needs. And yeah. the whole time, my higher self knew I was not happy. And I just kept going on that, right, for a really long time. <laughs> you and know? so you, you, you knew back then that it was a problem. Oh, yeah, for sure. 
um, you know, I just, I wasn't able to handle the amount that I was drinking. And I knew that like everyone else seemed to do the same thing, but I felt worse the next day. I had more shame. I had more guilt. I had more uh, friction with it. It's like everyone else that didn't remember what happened last night was like, what's the big deal? Like, it's okay. Like everyone's doing it. And I was like in depth, like I found some journals from my early in high school and I was already like, I can't keep, you know, what am I doing? I'm hiding who I am. I was already saying things like that to myself and I just didn't see another solution. It was just a part of, I'd already, it was just what I did. Yeah. And, you know, in, in hindsight, too, because um, I am sober today and I did also use a lot of alcohol and other substances, I realized, too, that it was truly a tool to help me deal with what was going on inside of me and that even though there were some problems surrounding it, it probably actually kept me alive for a number of years to get to the point to where... Um, there was really no other choice but to either let it go or to um, dive deeper and, and perhaps in my life. And were, were, were you coming to places like that within your own life too? Yeah, I love what you just said because I am, I don't think I would have stayed alive. My first suicidal ideation started in like seventh grade mm. and I found alcohol shortly after that. So I, I honestly am grateful that I found everything that I found because it helped me do all, a, a lot of amazing things in my life. You know, like I, I don't have any regrets. I yeah. truly don't. Yeah. And I'm grateful that I found something that helped me for so long. And, you know, I had some experiences. I was still, you, you, for me, I, no one could take the seeker out of me no matter how much they kind of tried to beat it out of me. Like, that's so silly. You're so silly. All these crazy ideas you have, especially when I lived in Texas, you know, they're just like, you're so weird. And I'm like, I can't help it. Like, I'm just so curious. And in hindsight, just like you said, that curiosity kept me alive too. Yeah. And still does. (laughs) So, so after high school, somehow, even with all that going on, you still got into University of Texas? Is, is that where you went to school? Yeah, interestingly, uh, I think things started to compound in my body. So um, I was very sick throughout my life. I they had all these unexplainable illnesses that I now am clear was trauma trying to leave my body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kept stuffing it. And so I actually started at Texas A&M, which is like the the opposite of UT Austin. Uh-huh. And the day that I arrived there, we went to a big party, got super drunk. And the next day I was sick, which I just thought like, oh, I'm sick. Well, it ended up that I was like sick for weeks. And the first day of school started and my parents had to come get me. And I had to go back to San Antonio. I was in the hospital for a long time. Still to this day, not sure exactly what happened. They said it was endometriosis. I don't know. Um, I really just feel like my body was shutting down. And it was such a blessing because I didn't belong at A&M. I belonged at UT. And I, yes, I got a full ride scholarship to A&M. Yeah. Had to decline that. And then I went to community college for a while in San Antonio for a semester. And then I moved to Austin and got in. Yeah. And so somehow you managed to get through all of that. 
alive. Do you remember it at all? Or did, did you actually learn something? Oh gosh. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I learned a lot, Michael. I learned a lot because the, because I didn't know what was going on with me. This was 1993 and, you know, they gave me coding to, to manage my pain and they really truly did not know what was wrong with me. So that was the first time I remember mixing pills and alcohol because I was so depressed. You know, I mean, I just lost my scholarship. My doctor was trying to write letters. I learned so much from that experience. I was so, I, I was, I laid in my bed for like weeks and contemplated like, what am I going to do? Like you're, you know, 18 years old thinking that I was about to go to college. And instead I was like sick at home back in San Antonio and I'll never forget a girlfriend came over and was like, we got to get you out of the house. And now I can see I was developing an addiction to the coding. Yeah. And I just didn't see it. And I remember she took me, we cut my hair and, and then I got busy like being successful. And, you know, I mean, I say this often, like I wore success as my suit to protect myself as well. I was still just in so much pain, but I knew that if I was successful that I could like manage it better. Yeah. So it was another coping mechanism. Sure, sure. So when, when you left school and you started working, did, did you hop into a great job or where were you at that point? Yeah, that's a great question. I have always been very successful. I started my first business in high school mm -hmm. in real estate and, um, and I continued that. So while I was in college, I had a full-time job managing an apartment building. And I truly believe that that experience, going to school full-time, managing 265 units in Austin, Texas, was probably the best education that I could have had. You know, I mean, I learned so much about people and how to manage a business. I didn't have a boss. I was my own boss. You know, I had the owner that I that I reported to, but I did such a good job. He was just like, go girl. And, you know, so I was already, I had that entrepreneurial spirit and really preferred to not be managed, but to be mentored. I was already like defiant. Like I've got this, that warrior spirit was definitely <laughs> alive in me, Michael. Yeah. So, I mean, I graduated with honors and got scholarships and I also had that full-time job. I had a pimp ass apartment in Austin with three stories and a keg on every balcony. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 It was a fun time. And so when I, when I graduated from college, that was a very confusing time for me. I did not do well with transitions. Mm -hmm. Like I said, you know, my original incidents abandonment. So anytime I'm about to, something's about to end, my pattern would get really anxious and mm -hmm. usually do something to mess it up, to, to set it on fire. And that's in 1999. That's when I started using cocaine. Wow. And I really thought like, okay, now I've got really got something figured out. Yeah. You know? And, um, and I were in there too. You started yoga, right? The same year, I, almost within the same month, I um, about a month before I found cocaine, um, I started yoga. Wow. So Jennifer opened the Bikram studio in Austin, Yoga Vida, and I was like there every single day. 
So, so you were doing, you started doing yoga, you weren't sober, you, you started doing cocaine. Was, was the cocaine helping with your yoga or? I mean, at that point it was so, um, it was so new. It was just fun. Like I was, there was all this exploring, like I'd done, a, I would partied with a lot of ecstasy in those days as well. And so it was just like this new kind of designer thing that like the rich people in Dallas did. And now I could do it too. In Austin. Yeah. Well, the the people that introduced it to me were all from Dallas, and so they'd had cocaine in their life for a really long time, and we didn't have it in San Antonio, or I didn't know about it. Yeah. Um. So interestingly, like, can you see how like the dichotomy? Like, I was so seeking something spiritual. Yeah. Found the yoga mat, and then what worked faster was the cocaine and the alcohol. Sure. Right, and so. I was an anomaly. People were just like, you party so hard and then you still wake up and go to yoga. And it was just these masks that I could wear and I could just take them on and off like so easily. And where was I that whole time? Like my true essence was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. You you weren't letting it out. Oh no. I was doing everything to hide it. The warrior was like, I can survive anything. So bring it on. Yeah. And I was really slowly like, yeah. just in so much pain. It, it, it's like the, the phoenix, you know, destruction and recreation. You know, this, this cycle that happens. You know, but that's a warrior, you know. So you're still, I'm going to say you're, you were still in warrior training, right? Absolutely. absolutely. All I, of, go ahead. I was just going to say all of that. I mean, because 99 was such a, a big year for me my birth mom who I hadn't seen in several years showed up on my doorstep in Austin. And I was, and that was the year that I told her like, no, this is not allowed. You cannot just show up. No, I set like a limit and a boundary with her, which was so difficult. And then I left that job. I, I traveled to Europe. I, it was just like that very much of that. Like, what are you going to do next? Like, I feel like that was almost a peak of the warrior. Like, okay. Now you've gotten the degree, you've done the things, now what? And that was when um, I started the, to, to move to San Francisco. And you, you started, you, you had now become a yoga teacher and you started teaching yoga. So there's all this outside stuff going on, yet inside you, you were still uh, covering up, so to speak. I was 100% covering up. Yeah. I mean, I was, I had all of these beautiful practices in my life, but no one really got to see who I was, including myself, my journal, you know, I would really dump there. And I had started to see therapists at that point in my life as well in all through college, but I wouldn't tell them the the whole truth because a fear of looking bad, you know, of being judged. Yeah. You've got to, I mean, after all, you're going to a therapist, you have to look good if a therapist. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? It's bananas. Like, I'm going to be, because I was the number one client, like, everywhere I went, including yeah. in my recovery. Yeah. So I was, like, going to be the best client ever, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it, it's like, I, you know, having been there, done that, I, I know it's like, go to therapy, and if I can prove to myself that I'm okay here, then I'm okay. But if I actually have to tell the therapist what's really going on, then I'm not okay. Yes. 
that really like hit me because it's just so true. And yeah. it's really why I choose to do the work that I do now. Yeah. Because yeah. when you, when I dropped that mask, which didn't happen until I was like 36 and I found a spiritual teacher that could really help me. Yeah. I mean, I was, so what, what triggered that end of the warrior training, I'm going to say, and the, the letting go of the alcohol or any other substances at the end of, of all of that, what was within you that caused you to make that change? Why did you do that? Wow. So, I mean, at this point, I'm like 36, 37 in San Francisco in a relationship, very much in love. And I'm so unhappy. And we are, we're fighting over things that like we, neither of us really understood like what was wrong. There was so much passion. There was so much things. We partied a lot together, but within me, I knew something wasn't right. And um, the spiritual teacher that I found could just see it all over me right away. He actually, my boyfriend and I went to, to therapy, therapy together with him. And he asked for me to stay after and I'll never forget. He's like, when was the first time you were sexually abused? And he could just see it on my body. Mm. And it felt so scary to be seen. And um, he also saw that he's like, there's something very special you've been seeking for a long time. He just like basically like called me out and like just after one time of meeting me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for someone to see me my whole life. And that really is what got things in motion. And uh, vanity is what is what happened. Basically, like I was like, I'm going to figure out all of my trauma before I turn 40. I'm going to figure it all out. I I have a plan. I've got my somewhat of a, a support system. So I thought and it did not go at all according to my plan. And I did not have enough support. And I was using alcohol and drugs to cope still. Yeah. And the series of events that led to just my complete meltdown, the warrior just could not keep going was awful. You know, I just, I, I, I acted out with my boyfriend with another man. Um, Our whole community of friends knew about it. I'm the whole time I'm like on people finders trying to find my birth mom to reconnect with her Then I'm trying to make like amends before I even knew what amends were with all these people in my life so that I could just go into my forties with a clean slate. (laughs) And And how did that work, Amy? (laughs) Oh my gosh, Michael, like talk about like, you know, just the, the, just falling apart for two years. It was a falling apart process that again, I have no regrets. Sure. you know, every warrior, you know, at that point, I was just like, this is just my path. And of everyone that was helping me at that time, thank God that Kevin, my spiritual healer was just there because he's like, she's going to do what she's going to do. Like, this is her journey. And it was a, it was a rough couple of years. I mean, I was suicidal and awful. So what, what was that moment where you'd had enough? Was there something inside of you? Did you know it? Was it like, you know, this is, this is the rain. Now you're in the sun. I mean, how did it happen? I mean, was it just like one day there was epiphany? (laughs) No, (laughs) it was not. Um, Because I was so 
so the thing about wearing masks and your listeners will probably maybe have never heard it this way, but will really understand this is that when you're a mask wearer, when I was a mask wearer, I was so good at it that I could trick myself. Mm-hmm. And in my recovery, I was the, the ideal client. I was the ideal 12 stepper. I was the ideal smart recovery life ring. I mean, I did it all. And I was, everyone was just like, oh my gosh, she's so successful. She's so good at it that I was even tricking myself. But then I'd come home and be with myself. And I was so miserable inside. I was so miserable. And I would just get up and put that mask back on. And so that, and then I just would not be able to take it anymore. I would not be able to take that faking it. And I would go back to the behavior of choosing the substance to just like kill that feeling. And it worked, right? But it was also at this point killing me quickly too. And so what, I mean, what happened was I was not successful at dying. Like no matter how much Xanax and wine, I mean, every time I went to the hospital, they're like, we don't know how you're alive. Well, I'm a warrior. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I survived so many things that technically I should not have survived. And finally, in 2016, I um, had been trying to get sober for two years. I was mostly sober from that time. But every time I drank, I'd try to die. And um, I just, I was like, okay, fine. I like, I was in Rockport, Texas, in this like little pool of the bay. And I was drinking. And I just remember like the sun, the moon glaring on the water. And I was just like, fine. I'm done. I'm done trying this. Like I've got to live now and I've got to live in a way that I've never lived before. And at this point I had literally bins and bins of all of the recovery work that I'd done. And I took that with me to treatment that last time and was like, you got to listen to me. You have to listen to me. Like no one's like can tell me and I know what I need to do. I just need a safe place to be so that I can do it. Yeah. So, so you ended up in a treatment program. Yeah. I've been in, so I was in several at that point. Um, so, because, you know, my family was just so scared. They just kept yeah. saying like, send her to treatment and treatment. The treatment I needed was trauma work and the, the places that I went did not have what they promised. They promised trauma work, but they didn't have trauma work. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, today now you have turned these experiences really into being a recovery coach. Yeah, I have. And, and helping other people, um, have their own realization or, you know, if, if they're, if they're desiring to find sobriety or recovery, but coming to that place with the recognition that perhaps recovery and sobriety is more than just letting go of substances. It's how we live our life. It's our job. It's our money. It's our relationship, perhaps uh, early childhood trauma or ongoing trauma, um, all of that and helping somebody in recovery, really integrating those things and coming to a place um, where they can find a new way to live. So, so to speak. So, And I, what, what I've heard from you is that 
it, it was difficult, the sobriety part was difficult until the trauma was recognized and uh, maybe dealt with some. Is, is, did I hear that right? You absolutely 100% did, yes. And I love what you just said. And I, while you were talking, I just had this hit of um, just in, like what integration is, is something that you and I have had in common for such a long time, right? Like what I was seeking the very first time I went to that yoga class was an integration. And I started to find, I started to find my relationship with my body in order to go like, well, what's this all like? Like I've had all these fragments and these masks, but now I want to have this union of self and bring it all together. And so looking back, like in 99, well before I even considered the idea that I would choose to live sober, that I was, this is what I was seeking. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's a unique part about my recovery and also the biggest blessing that kept me alive. Like that seeking was something that I kept, that, that literally kept me breathing. Yeah. And so when I, when I basically advocated for myself because what I was asking for was met with like, go to more meetings, um, go talk to your talk therapist. If you stay for six months, then we'll do EMDR with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like, wait, you're going to make all this money just so I can do EMDR. Like, and they wouldn't let me off site to go see a therapist outside of their treatment center. You know, I mean, there's so many things that were broken in my opinion in the treatment model and because I've had this warrior spirit, I was like, I'm going to put together my own program and I'm going to do this in a way that like, I know feels good. And I'm going to fumble and stumble through it because I didn't have one mentor. I had many mentors. And when I figured something out for myself, I immediately put all of those modalities together and started sharing it with other people because I know, like I know that what is underneath there is what will give someone the, a really truly let their nervous system relax yeah. to actually integrate. Yeah. And as we know, as yogis, it's a delicate balance of holding on and letting go. Yeah. yeah. And that's recovery. Yeah. So in, in your recovery today, it's letting go of the substances, uh, doing some yoga, perhaps hiking near your home every day, yeah. uh, perhaps good nutrition. I don't know. Are, are you plant-based? Uh, I am not plant-based. I eat intuitively at this point. So. Intuitive eating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, perhaps we're, we're working with other people, uh, writing, journaling. Yeah. So you, you've integrated all those things together. And then when you work with other people, you help them do that as well. Can you talk a little bit about what it's, what you do when you're working with somebody so the listeners can understand that? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, something so beautiful is that like, I do, I really don't say no to any of the modalities. There's so many ways to have a somatic experience now that are coming to the forefront that we've always done in different ways. So there's sound healing and, you know, just all the somatic approaches to really just getting in touch with the body. And what I've found now with the data that I've been able to collect from the beautiful people that I'm honored to work with is that 
they don't have any relationship with their body. Mm-hmm. And so, so much of the work that I, I take people on a six month journey to themselves to really create this freedom. And, and in that first month, so much of the work is just really getting in touch with the original incidents that happened in their life. Maybe the things that they've even never told, they've gone through 12 step programs, but never told sponsors things that they thought they were going to take to the grave. Like I create such a safe space with so much love and, and a knowing that they have that I've been through the very similar experiences Yeah. and I've shared my trauma and I share everything. I do not hide anything. Yeah. And we get clear on what those were. And the way that I put it, Michael, is that like, I, we tie a string to that event. We never have to relive that event, but we can pull on the string and look at the behavior in the present moment yeah. and say, well, of course that happened. Yeah. That's a pattern you created to survive. Yeah. And we yeah. can move forward. Yeah. And of course in addiction and re- recovery today, they, they've really recognized that early childhood trauma traumas in our life, virtually everybody that's dealing with substance abuse, alcohol abuse, um, has had some type of um, experience that that happened to them. 100%. Absolutely. And, you know, thank you for recognizing that so clearly, because, you know, I, I consider myself a rebel recovery professional, Um, a disruptor of what's happening in the addiction treatment model right now, because people don't, aren't ready to talk about that everywhere. And I was ready to talk about it in 2014, the very first time I went to treatment. Mm -hmm. And I was told that I think too much, Mm. man, I'll never forget that. Like they're doing their best. They only knew what they knew. Yeah. I, I think too much and I'm just an alcoholic. Oh gosh. Like I can feel that all in my solar plexus. Cause I was mad and I, I felt again, just like not listened to. And I know because I I've had the honor of working in treatment centers that there are so many people that feel that way while they're actively getting well. And they're already subconsciously planning the next time that things get hard, that they, they know exactly what they're going to do. Oh, absolutely. Drink or use or. Yes. Yeah, or just yeah. act out. And, you know, I, we lose so many people to that cycle and I'm, t- I'm just tired of it. Yeah. I'm just done with it. And when we get to those things, those root causes, it's not easy work, <laughs> mm. you know, however, it, after it's identified, there's a, there's a sense, like people say like a boulder was lifted off my chest that's probably been on their heart forever. Yeah. And in the, there, you know, one thing my, the people that I'm blessed to work with say often is like, Amy, I've been in therapy for 10 years. And in three weeks, what we've done together is like amazing. And the whole while where the first thing we do is we look at that nutrition and we look at the microbiome together and I'm highly trained in that. So it's like when you have the combination of feeding the vessel of your body, getting back in touch with your body and then setting yourself free from these events that maybe you thought you never were going to talk about. Like, like so much is possible. Yeah. And it's really the, 
you know, I've, I've been around sobriety and recovery enough to know that those things left unaddressed will likely cause reuse again or, or relapse again. And that, that's why what you do is so powerful because it, it does, it helps bring that together and go, what do we do with all these different areas and, and where is help needed and what can we, we do to um, create some balance for you in, in those areas too? Right. Well, and that's the thing about, you know, a 12 step room or a support room or a treatment center. It's like you're away from everything. And then when you get back into your life is when everything gets hard and overwhelming. And there's a tremendous amount of guilt that comes up of like, why can I not handle this? Yeah. Well, you can't handle this because you've created a pattern and you don't know another way to rewire your mind. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're marrying the mind and the body in a way and the biome to create that integration, to create that wholeness. So when you lose a job or your partner comes at you or the dog dies or, you know, all the things that will continue to happen, you've got 30 years, you know, life keeps happening, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then that the response is so different than it ever has been because the body's relearned that it can trust you. Yeah. The body knows like, Oh, I'm in a safe vessel now, maybe for the first time ever. And that's how we heal trauma. Yeah. So, so you're working primarily today doing the recovery coaching one-on-one. -on -one. Is, is that correct? And, and you do it not only in person, but on Skype as well or online? On Zoom, actually, on this, on this platform. This is the yeah. platform that I use. And, and Michael, I just want to mention, like, it's so beautiful because we do it on Zoom, people are able to do it from their home yeah. with their dog next to them, with their favorite blanket, with their, with their you know, mug that they know. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain level of, again, just safety that they feel in their home, which allows for that release to come in a different way. And it's such an honor to watch mm -hmm. because they'll literally leave the room and then there's their family. Yeah. And there's all the things that could happen. There's their job. There's all the things. And then they have a line of access to me to come back and say like, okay, like you'll never believe what just happened. I just did it differently than I've ever done it before. Yeah. And it's right there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. You, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the clock and believe it or not, we don't have that much time left. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I know that there's so much here. That, that we could dive into uh, and go, you know, lots of rabbit holes we could go down, so to speak. But I, I want to ask you, especially for the listener, if you were to give like maybe three ideas or three tips for the listener that's maybe struggling with, with something that, that needs some insight on something, do you have like three simple ideas you could offer? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, the first idea that I like to offer is that how you respond is truly your choice. And um, the fun thing that I like to do is I have negative thoughts every day still. There's no doubt about it. And I, I started doing this thing where I arrest the thought. And I'll literally put my hand up. If you're not listening, I have my, or if you're not watching, I have my hand up next to my head and just grabbing the thought mm -hmm. and throwing it away. And that pattern interrupt is such a good pattern interrupt. Like, oh, you're no good for me. 
and it's fun and it's playful and play is how we heal trauma. Mm -hmm. And when that's not working and I'm still finding myself, you know, what am I doing? Of course, go back to your breath. You know, we know now that with a longer, it's this simple, you guys make your exhale longer than your inhale. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you calm the vagus nerve and you have a different response to all 13 organs in your body. So it's that simple. Make the exhale longer than the inhale. And my third thing to, to do is like to play, to have fun, to listen to music, to move your body, to get up and just dance and shake it out and, and just do something to just make it different. Yeah. And those three simple things can literally change everything in a moment for you. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think one of the things too is, especially when we're trying to recover or create a new life, it, it's very easy to overcomplicate. And if we come back to some of the simple ideas that, that you just talked about, um, we may have a better chance of, of moving through whatever it might be. Absolutely. And, and Michael, you know, what I think it does the most is that it helps other people around you get playful with it too, because we're all human together. No matter if we struggled with the substance, everyone struggles with something. Yeah, absolutely. One, one of the things that this was, uh, friend of mine recently, he's a photographer and he actually travels all over doing some photography, but he gave this to me. Um, it's keep smiling is actually a little card and I, I leave it here on my desk. And for those that, again, that are listening on audio, I just held up with this nice little blue card that says keep smiling. And, um, I think that that's really important. And one of the things that, um, I saw you do today in, in our discussion, you were smiling most of the time yeah. and that creates such lightheartedness and such openness. So, um, I appreciate you doing that. Oh yeah. I mean, I really believe in it. It helps my heart smile, you know, somebody, um, the other day was like angry about that on Instagram. Like, are you always that happy? <laughs> and I'm like, I can still feel things and smile. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always been known as a smiling yogi. Yes, I love it. And, you know, but oftentimes it's because I was being a yoga posture or smiling because I was in pain. You know? Exactly. And then I was smiling because I was no longer in pain. You know? <laughs> so. We had no idea how slippery we could get. That's right. And how yeah. we could smile at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, we. Oh, Michael, I lost your connect. Your connection's a little off. Warrior is so important, and you went through so many years of uh, warrior training, so to speak, through uh, trauma and drinking and, and other substances and, and all the masks that, that you wore, to me, again, is really that warrior training that, 
now that you've made it out of that desert, out of that jungle, you know, wh wherever, however you want, you want to define it, and now you're taking that warrior training experience to help other people and to help other people recognize that um, they too can get through what, whatever it is that may be challenging them, that whatever life may be presenting them, and to be able to help them recognize that they can really truly have the life that they want to live. Mm -hmm. So I, I really learned a lot about that. And um, um, I just want to keep coming back to that idea again of being a warrior and coming out and surviving, you know, and thriving, not just surviving, but thriving. Exactly. So, yeah. So on the website at Fallen Up Radio on your episode page at the bottom, we're going to have some various links, your website, et cetera. But just like one link for somebody that's listening, where can they find you? I would say my website, amyguerrero.com. And then at Thrive and Recovery with Amy is my handle to all of my social media. And it's a really good place to get to know me because I really don't hold back and very honest and real and it's who I am the person when you hop on a call with me this is it this is what you get I'm I'm very honest open vulnerable and and really ready to to help you take your life to that next level well I, I certainly learned a lot and I'm, I, I can't speak particularly about the listeners but I hope you learned a lot too and if recovery and, and struggling is, is something that you're faced with um, look Amy up and to, to see whether there's some kind of connection there that might help you take your, your next step too. Um, and as we come to the end, I, I want to mention the book again, Falling Down, Getting Up, and get a free copy of that at the website, just a simple immediate download. And if you want to actually get a printed copy, I just ask you to cover a little shipping and handling and you can get that too. Um, Amy, it's been a delight. Yeah. And um, I look forward to, to learning more, and um, it's just been really great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're up to, and it's just an honor to be in your presence, and just, you know, I love community. It's so yeah. fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Have an awesome day, and hold on to the, um, wait for me on the other side, and uh, everybody else, have an amazing day with whatever you do. Have a kick-ass time, and if you can't have a kick-ass time, have a kick-ass time not having a kick-ass time. So, enjoy. Thank you. Talk to you soon.